Hey, what is up? You have found I Like the Blazers. I am your host, Brandon Goldner. And with me, I have the magnanimous, the magnificent, the magularious. That's not even a word. Uh, I got Evan McCarthy. It's the homie Evan M. What's up, man? Hey, Brandon. How's it going? It's good. It's good. It's um, it's a little dark here. I'm like looking outside and like the clouds have gotten rather purple rather quickly. So it's definitely going to start raining in a second, but I am indoors and dry. So I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I cannot relate. I'm down here in New Orleans and it was uh, <laughs> just got back from my bike ride. It was 71 and sunny. So you definitely Not cannot relate. <laughs> no, but you know, New Orleans is built different. Hit, hit me up in two months when it's a uh, hundred, but it feels like 120 and you can't be outside for longer than three seconds. Uh, that's Cause true. that will happen. That will happen soon. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Get your bike riding in now. Um, we actually, you know, we had a, we had a pretty good stretch of weather the last week or so. So I'm not even going to complain about it. And that's coming, you know, after we had a, a couple weeks before that, just a ton of snow, um, yeah, crazy stuff happening here on the West Coast. Um, but Evan, you actually you convened this meeting, sir. You are you are the convener of this Zoom meeting. Actually, I guess we're on Skype. Um, but yeah, you hit me up and you wanted to chat. Why don't you give a little rundown of what you were thinking? Um, what you were thinking for this show? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been wanting to do this on a podcast um, since the season kind of started as, as the season progressed. I know it's kind of hard to do it mid-season because everything is so fluid, especially in a condensed season. So I figured the All-Star break would be the perfect time to do it. But um, just had the idea of both you and I each individually coming up with anything Blazers related and coming up basically to the table with five topics and each of us going back and forth. So alternating and just kind of saying the topic or a statement about it and then uh, just, us just talking about it. And, um, you know, again, anything Blazers related like uh, first half of the season historically whatever that's great yeah no i i like that a lot and i mean there's there's a lot that happened and i'm sure that like i'm sure that there's probably a topic or two that overlaps between us or maybe there's not i mean that's kind of the it was funny the last episode that i did um with ryan whitledge of the blazer tag podcast we talked about how to evaluate coaching and kind of specifically to talk about coach Stotts at the end but the the thing that i got from that is that there's like a lot and a lot of different people can look at the same thing and take something different away right so you and i we can be NBA Blazers fans and we're going to take something different away from this season. And I think that's really important just to kind of reiterate slash talk about that the way that we approach being a fan or an analyst or a reporter, it's going to be different from person to person. And I kind of wish that people, and maybe I'm guilty of this myself. In fact, I am sometimes to be completely honest. I wish that people would kind of chill out and just be okay with the fact that people might disagree with them or see something different, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's what I like about your saying, pick five things in the season, because we did not coordinate this together. Um, as I'm laughing in the background, my cat is like jumping up on the windowsill, and it's very <laughs> cute. You know when like, cats get up on their hind legs, they just look funny? Um, uh, I appreciate oh, this absolutely. because, like, again, you and I have watched the same season. We're probably going to have five different takeaways, so... That sounds that sounds awesome. I have one where I kind of cheated, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, 
and you said that we wanted to alternate. Um, so why don't you why don't you kick it off? What's like of the five things that you would pick so far from the season? What's the first thing that came to your mind? Sure, you know, and we are recording this on a Monday, the Monday after the All Star break. Um, and this one just made my list because of what happened yesterday. I feel like it'd be fun to talk about uh, our our young son Anthony Simons winning the dunk contest last night. Yeah, that was that was on my list. Um, yeah, t- tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was interesting. Obviously, the format, which is different than it's been, they held it during halftime, so obviously they had to change the format and that they weren't going to get as many dunks in. And there were only three contestants. I don't know if there were three contestants because they couldn't find a fourth. I'm assuming that they wanted Zion to do it and he just probably didn't want to do it. So they're like, all right, it's fine. We'll just have three, three contestants. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was exciting. It's the dunks he did were fun. I, I like, uh, you know, the dunk he did where he put the hoop on the hoop and put the ball up there. <laughs> was pretty innovative, pretty innovative. And I like the idea where he's like, I need to show people how high I can jump. Exactly. Um, Cause yeah, it's one of those things where like in these dunk contests, you feel like you've seen everything. Like we feel like we've seen everything. So it's like, all right, well, can someone do it? Make, make a dunk that's already been done more flashy. Whereas for him, he's like, what if I just show you, I can jump, t- I can jump higher than everyone else. And I'm going to show you that. Um, was so, that, yeah. Was that your favorite dunk guy? He did three dunks, right? Was it three? Yeah, he did three. Was that your favorite? Was think, that your favorite one? No, it was probably the, the kiss the rim one was probably yeah. up there. I mean, the most impressive thing is that he made all of them on his first attempt, which I think it cannot be understated how impressive that is in a dunk contest. Um, I believe Vince Carter, the, the famous year, the Vince Carter one, I believe he made all of his dunks on his first attempt, which made all of them like that much more crazy. Um, I think yeah, that's, I mean, which one I think that's huge too. I feel I feel like they should get I and maybe they did in the scoring, they should get extra points for doing it on the first try, honestly. I'm sure that it, in the back of the judge's mind that I'm sure they're probably told not to think it think that it should hold more weight, but I'm sure they do. Um I don't see why not. And do you know so like and I had a like I wish I could have talked and I don't know if you know this, I had experience uh coaching Dunking? out the slam dunk contestant. <laughs> No, I think God, I wish uh, I have, I have experience uh, coaching up a slam dunk contestant once actually what? In, really? in the NBA. So yeah, I mean, halfway jokingly. So back in college, I was working at Jess sports, the Clackamas town center, shout out Jason Cobb. I'm sure listens to your podcast actually. Oh yeah. Mr. Um, Cobby Cobb on Twitter. Oh yeah. He's the best. Yeah. He's the best. He used to be my boss back in the day. And uh, we, I worked at Jet Sports, and it was heading into All-Star Weekend, and Freddie Jones came in, who was – did he go to the University of Oregon? Like, he lived in Oregon. I think he did, he yeah. Has, yeah, he has some tie to Oregon, but he came in to buy a Mitchell Ness jersey, and uh, we were hanging out in there, and it, he was going to be in the dunk contest, and it was like the day or two before, and he comes in, and we're talking to him. And uh, I told – again, like, I'm big on you got to do stuff that in the dunk contest no one's ever seen. And uh, I was like, hey, man, you know what you got to do? And he's like, what's that? I'm like, you got to throw it off. I'll you to yourself by throwing it off the shot clock and dunking it, um, which is something at the time that a dude in like the and one mixtape tour was doing. And this was like back before the Internet was huge. So like, you know, people weren't like logging into YouTube and seeing it like you you have to watch that show to know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, man, no one's ever done it. No one's done it in the dunk contest and something. And he kind of laughed it off. It was like, yeah, 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 we'll see. And then, of course, he didn't do it. Um, but yeah, that was me coaching, <laughs> coaching up a slam dunk contestant. I, I hope you got your consultation fee from that. 
Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. I probably ended up giving him a discount selling the jersey. Um, <laughs> oh man, the, but, so. The, okay, specifically with Simon. So I think it should be said. I, did we mention this? That he was the first Blazer to win the dunk contest, which I think is massive. Consider how many times did Clyde Drexler participate? At least a couple, right? Yeah, he was in it. I know. Obviously, he was in it against Jordan one season, and it had to have been the late eighties. Um, I think he had been a couple times. I think Jerome was in it once. Yeah. Um, oh, dude, Clyde, Clyde was in it five times, 84, 85, 87, 88, and 89. Yeah, which is like, it's never insane won. and never won, which is insane because Clyde, I mean, not the most explosive dunker, but like smooth as hell. And like, it just, I mean, I guess in that era, you had Jordan, you had Dominique Wilkins, like mm-hmm. it's maybe. Spud Webb was a big, Spud Webb was a big, like. Yeah, you know, like the Nate Robinson he's five the five, so and he's dunking like good for him. Like I, I always felt like that was kind of a bullshit dunk competition win. On to be completely honest, but I mean, shout out oh, to for sure. Um, but yeah, Anthony Simons being the first to win, and yeah, so you're you're saying like, Clyde Drexler's been in a drum cursey. We've had, I mean, J.R. Ryder Rudy, was not with Rudy the Blazers Fernandez. at that time. I don't think. Yeah, Rudy was though. Um, so did you ever did you ever read that story about Rudy Fernandez's dunk contest? Like no. I think quick so. It's so it frustrates me to no end. I remember reading at the time. I'm pretty sure it was Jason Quick who. It was a situation where you know how the media gets led into practices at the end of practice, and um, so they break practice breaks. The media comes in, and Rudy is before the dunk contest, and Rudy was practicing dunks, and like Jason Quick said that he saw Rudy Fernandez with ease do a dunk that I don't think anyone in the NBA at that time no one could do, and it was. Um, a move where, you know, that soccer move where the soccer ball, like you go towards the soccer ball and then you use your foot to kick it up over your head from like your from back behind. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. There's a name for that. Do you know what the name is? It's like a, it, the name escapes me, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Totally, it's like, yeah, a, like yeah. a rainbow thing over your head. Apparently Jason quick said that he saw Rudy Fernandez do it with ease where he alley-ooped to it to him, alley-ooped it to himself and dunked it doing that. And, um, a, it's a dunk that we've never seen before. And again, I don't know like who in the NBA could ever do that. Yeah. I like who like, Steve, yeah, well, I, know, I mean, Steve Nash can't dunk. Uh, you're talking about like, who, exactly. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. Steve Nash and Steve Nash did do that alley to Amari Stoudemire, but Steve Nash himself can't dunk or he wouldn't be able to right. dunk. Like but, maybe dirt. I don't know. Yeah. Like you're thinking like who, like, who, who who's a soccer so, player and also plays NBA basketball. It's yeah. like, um, so I was frustrated so because sick. he didn't, he should have done it because his first dunk was kind of weird. I remember it was like, he threw it to himself off the backboard behind his back, but like it took him forever to do it. And like, my thing is like, you were the underdog going, he was the underdog, no doubt. And it's like, do this dunk, the first dunk that no one's ever seen and like have everyone lose their mind. But now he didn't do it. We never saw it. So I wonder. It's so funny because, like, I I'd be interesting. Has anyone done like a deep dive? This is, okay. Free book idea. Anyone done yeah. a deep dive with a bunch of different dunk contest participants on how they prepare, and particularly that mental part of you want to push the envelope, but you also want to get the dunk off. Because how embarrassing is it that if you can't get the dunk off? Right. It's funny oh, though yeah. because, like, from what you're describing. If you're a soccer player, is it called the marionette? I, I, there's a name for it. I can't believe I can't think of the name for it. But if you're a soccer player and you know how to do that move, like it's probably mm-hmm. 
second nature at that point. And it's probably, it probably looks more impressive to other people who can't do it than it is for you to do it. He should have totally sure. done it. He should have totally done it is the point. And like, I'd be curious it to know. Stay, if like, it would be, it would be in a highlight, re- highlight reels for a dunk contest forever. Cause again, no one else could do that. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Um, and then Dame did the dunk contest that one time where it was like, they're all dunking at the same time. And that was honestly, it's funny. People are like, Oh, this is the worst dunk contest ever. Like bullshit. That one that Damian Lillard was in was by far worse. It was like, I don't know how you feel about it. I thought it was super boring and dumb. And like, why are they all dunking? I, was, I remember being, uh, yeah, I remember being frustrated by it. Cause Dame's dunk was actually really sick and he did not get, and I'm not like the blazer Homer who like thinks that everything the blazers do should be praised. But I was like, that was a really good dunk. Um, but yeah, it was bullshit. Like it was like a round robin of like everyone just dunking at the same time. Yeah, which is and, like yeah, and it, that was when they went through the stage of like we need to mix it up and like you know inject freshness into the dunk contest where it's like no, I mean it just is what it is, you know. Right. I mean, the whole point of the dunk contest is that you have time to anticipate what's coming up, and then they perform the dunk, and then you get to react to it and feel something about it. And when you're all dunking at the same time, you kind of you get rid of that. That's literally the whole point of the dunk contest is to feel a thing. It like doesn't allow you to feel anything. Um, Yeah. So Anthony Simons. Okay. So his dunks, we, you talked about the putting it high on the backboard and grabbing it. You talk about the kiss, the rim dunk, which again, like it's, it's kind of too bad. I could see why he didn't actually kiss the rim. He could have, but like he pulled back because he didn't want to smash his face on the rim, which is, you know what he should have done. You know what he should have done. What? He sh- just like he had a prop and put something up on the backboard. He should have found something that wasn't wasn't going to hurt him, but that extended like connected it to the rim and extended out like oh six inches to a foot. Put lips on the end of it and kiss that while he dunks it. That would have so been it's like the same. Yeah, it's the same height as the rim, but he's not. You know, he's not risking hitting his head on the rim. You know what I mean? I think that's smart because yeah, I mean it's like the. I think about what are like the riskiest dunks in dunk competition, uh, dunk contest history. I think the one that comes to mind is Vince Carter putting his entire forearm mm-hmm. in the rim. Cause like, yes. even as, yeah, even as he's doing it, you're like, is he going to snap his arm off? Um, I think had Anthony Simons actually kissed the rim, it would have been the riskiest dunk ever. Um, it probably would have been a bad idea. And I agree with you. I think that would have been perfect because it would have been, he would have had something to line up with and he would have gotten the visual of his, you know, uh, his mouth lining up against something as it was. That was my favorite dunk too. And it makes for a really, really good photo. He also, by the way, like the production value on Anthony Simons's end to like, after he performs that dunk to like, you know, blow a kiss, like really mm-hmm. good theatrics and reinforcing what he was trying to do with that dunk. Right. Um, yeah. His other dunk, he put on the Tracy McGrady Jersey and he did like a, a seven twenty in air quotes, um, kind of like behind his back through his legs. Can you describe it better than I, I actually only No, he, yeah, he, he alley-ooped it to himself and did, like, this, like you said, it was, like, a 360, maybe a little bit more, but, like, he grabbed the ball and, like, put the ball, like, dub, like pumped down and up. Um, it's an, It was an interesting choice because he took a dunk from the dunk, that dunk contest that was probably, like, the seventh most impressive dunk. You know, like, Vince Carter, all of his dunks were more impressive. Yeah. Like, when he first broke out the Raptors jersey, I'm like, oh, Vince Carter. And then oh. I like, you know, Chase McGrady, whatever. Um, and it was a good dunk. And it was, yeah, that was, 
It's all it's always interesting because out of the dunks that you maybe do on the fly, like for instance, when you see the other contestants, if one of them fucks up, like you could do calculus where it's like, oh, all I have to do is make a semi-decent dunk and I'm going to advance the next round, for instance. But like that is a dunk where like, no, you have to do if you put on the jersey, you have to do the one that you're going to that you set out to do. Right. Um, but that was good. No, 100%. And, you know, that was probably my least favorite of his dunks. Um, one more question about the dunk contest. Do you think that between Anthony Simons, Obi Toppin, and Cassius Stanley, uh, do you think that they picked the correct winner? Do you think that Anthony Simons deserved to win this? Yeah, not only do I think he deserved to win it, I was shocked that it was the final. So the final round was you didn't give a score. You just picked who you thought won, And it was three, two, like two Obi Toppin got two and Anthony Simons got three. Right. And I was shocked by that. I thought it should, it should have been four, one or five, zero. I mean, all Obi Toppin did was put the ball in between his legs. So I like, a, run at the, yeah. I, I have a question about that last scoring. Did they talk about whether they took into consideration the previous dunks when they gave that final score? It's a good question. I because, was having because that discussion I, like, I asked that because the that's the whole thing with. Oh, sorry. Go for it. That's my bad. No, yeah. I was saying I was having that exact discussion with the person I was watching it with where like, wait, is this an accumulative thing or is this only the last round? I I thought it was just the last round. Because that's like that's the classic question of like any reality TV show, whether it's like Great British Bake Off or like this new show with glass blowers called Blown Away or Project Runway. Like, don't judge me for liking Project Runway, by the way. But like it's you get to the end and it's like. Are you judging them based on this last competition? You have to take into account everything else they've done, right? And so, like, I'd be curious to know what, like, anyway, I don't remember. And so maybe if someone's listening, you know, let me know at GoldenerPDX on Twitter. Um, But, yeah, I think that that's always kind of like how do you judge it? And I personally, I think you need to look at the totality of everything they did because I think it's unfair to judge a person based on, one of the thing that they are doing just because of where it was in sequence. I've never really prescribed to that. Um, yeah. I, so, okay. Yeah. Here, here's what's funny though, because you started your five things about the season with Anthony Simons winning the dunk contest. So my first one was that the, the, what I wrote in the Google doc was all star stuff. So that was part of it. But the other part is to give props to Damian Lillard, for scoring more points in the all-star game than any blazer ever. And again, thinking about all of the great blazers and probably Clyde Drexler in particular, who has been to the most all-star games, but also that Dame scores the last 11 points, including the game winning as far as the Elam ending is concerned, but we are playing to a certain score, the game winning three, basically from half court, and um, just really impressive stuff. Like, I know it's an all-star game, but, like, as a Blazers fan, man, like, I... Do you remember the years where LaMarcus would play in the all-star game? He'd get, like, four points, and it was like, what, mm-hmm. dude, come on, bro. Like... They'd be, like, 18 footers, and they're like, oh, God. Yeah, it's like, he gotta do better than that. Like, really. And, like, not looking for his own shot. And so to have somebody like Damian Lillard who knows how to find his own shot can pull up from half court can win you the game that Steph Curry is literally waving goodbye before Dame even takes the shot was just so 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 rad like I I like I'm kind of disappointed like here's a question like did you care that Damian Lillard pulled out of the three-point contest like did you did you want to see him in that 
I wanted to see him in it, but like I don't blame I don't fault him for doing it. Like I don't fault him at all. Um obviously as a Blazer fan, like I would be more pumped to see it, but like I yeah, it's I'm totally fine with him if he's like I would rather rest. Fine. Great. Yeah. I I just I don't know. It was a definitely for us as Blazers fans is like a really Really good all-star weekend to have. I mean, we're not even going to discuss Robert Covington and the skills challenge because that, I mean, they need to get rid of the skills but he challenge. Did, he did shine in the fact that they had that little segment with him where he donated the money and he just looked like a big sweetie. So, like, he did come away as a winner in my mind. That's true. No, that's are, a good point. They're like, oh, man, look how sweet this guy. Like, and he was, like, so, you know, just so uh, passionate about, like, kind of giving it back to, was it Tennessee State as a school that he went to? Uh, the HBCU. So um, he, I think, even though he lost, I think he still would come away as a as a winner. That's true. Anytime you can cultivate that big sweetie <laughs> energy, you know you're doing something right. One hundred percent. You got anything else on the All Star game? Um, no, I mean, just real quick. It's funny because I was thinking about it. I was talking to my friends who are. So I have friends down here who are Pelicans fans, you know, from New Orleans, and they don't watch a lot of Blazer games. They hear me talk a lot about the Blazers, Blazers, but they don't really watch a lot of games. And it's I was talking, I was thinking about it. I'm like, the Dame, the 11 points to end it, and him pulling up from half court to hit a three. Like it's only it's shocking to everyone who's not a Blazers fan. Like I'm not shocked that he scored the last 11 points. I'm I'm pumped to see it, but I'm like, yeah, I mean that is on par with what he's done this entire season. Like literally, yeah. Um, I love the fact that he's a gamer that I, I think his mentality is like, if I'm going to show up, I'm going to play. You look at a guy like fucking, and I, I like Luka Doncic, but like, he looked like he was not trying at all. LeBron played like 100%. 13 minutes. Like, so, yeah. Some of these guys are like, no, and Dame's like, no, if I should, and Dame, Dame is obviously savvy as shit. Like he knows what this, that this is great for his brand. He knows people are going to talk about it on social media. He knows that, you know, if the Blazers continue the trajectory they're at, like there's going to be some Dame MVP chatter talk heating up. And like, I know the all-star game has nothing to do with it, but like, it doesn't hurt your case. You're like, Oh yeah, that guy fucking, you know, scored the last 11 points of the game winner and all that. Like people think about that too. So, Oh, I yeah, think I, was, I you know, fun night. I think you bring up a good point. I think that the all-star stuff does have something to do with building the narrative toward MVP. Right. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. And like, just, I mean, you already said it, but just to reiterate, like, Dame, his savviness as a brand builder from the moment he got to Portland, from the moment he signed with Adidas, even before he had his own signature shoe, he has been the commensurate professional, the commensurate commercial spokesperson for whatever he represents, right? Whether it's the team, whether it's Adidas, whether it's who doing ads for Hulu. Like, it doesn't matter. Like Damian Lillard is like, he could teach a master class on marketing because he is so incredibly good at it. Like, and I, I, I think that that's like part of the reason why that's true is because he is an earnest human being. Who's not a dick, right? Like he's an empathetic, decent person. And I think that is part of it. I, and I wish that like, I, I, I kind of hope like this is kind of going off, the side a little bit, but just since we're talking about it, I, I, I hope that people who are looking to become professionals in marketing, in branding are really looking hard at what Damian Lillard is doing in Portland because he's doing it the right way. And part of that is leading with empathy. And I, as a, you know, sensitive person or whatever, like I appreciate seeing strong leadership with empathy that always like, I really, really appreciate that. And Damian Lillard does that to a T. 
Yeah, no. To, to your point, I got this quick story. I, I, I was able to make, meet Damien Lillard once, and this was years ago. Um, I was working with uh, – I, I was asked to, like, set up a booth at this event held in North Portland. It was, like, a, to kick off um, for the, the kids there for school coming up with, like, free haircuts. They were doing, like, free school supplies and all that. And um, the woman organizing it knew someone who knew someone who knew Damien Lloyd. And uh, early in the day, they it was able to, like, get someone to text Dame and said, hey, we're having this event. And I forget at, at what um, – what community center in North Portland it was in. And they're like, do you think you could stop? Like the kids would, it would mean everything to them. If you could stop by. And he was like, I'm in LA right now, but I am flying home today. He was with Tim Frazier. Tim Frazier was playing with the Blazers at the time. He's like, I'm in LA right now. I'm flying back to Portland today. I will come straight from the airport and I will be there. And he didn't know the woman. He didn't yeah. know the woman putting this thing on. So like she told me, she they didn't make an announcement because they didn't want to get the kids hopes up. Cause you know, like he's a busy dude. He might not show up. But she was saying, like, to the kids, like, stick around. Like, just stick around. She told me to stick around, which I was sticking around. Um, so the day, a couple hours go by, I look over, and getting out of a car is Damian Lillard and Tim Frazier just walking up, and, like, kids are obviously losing their minds. Yep. Um, in between flying back, he called someone from Adidas and was like, hey, can you show up with backpacks? So someone showed up from Adidas with, like, 100 backpacks to hand out, that he handed out to kids. Um, and then I was able to meet him and take a picture with him and all that. But, like... Again, this was not a planned event. Like, this was not some planned thing. And he's like, I'll be, like, from the airport, boom, straight to this event. He was there. And, yeah, he didn't have to do it. And there, there was no, like, publicity. He didn't, there's no, like, no one from the media was there. There's no right. reporters or anything. He just showed up. I and, think yeah, it was awesome. That, I mean, that's a rad story. And, 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 again, you've heard this from you now. We've we've heard it from people like Lamar Hurd. We've heard it from anyone who's worked with the Blazers that, like, Damian Lillard giving a shit is not an act. That's literally who he is. No. And I, yeah. I think that that's important. And also, in addition to that, he has used that part of his genuine self to become an incredible spokesperson. And again, I just, I love that so much. Um, yeah. So all this just to say for the all-star game. Yeah. Like him being the top single game scorer in Blazers franchise history in the all-star game. That's a big deal. Him getting the last 11 points in that game is a big deal. Him winning the game is a big deal. And he knows that. And I think, yeah, I, again, as a Blazers fan, having, Suffered is the wrong word. Having witnessed, again, the LaMarcus Aldridge All-Star days, not that he wasn't deserving of the All-Star bid, but just watching him play, it kind of reminds me now of, like, Rudy Gobert. Like, we really want Rudy Gobert in the All-Star game. Is that really, like, are we sure about that? Like, it's not yeah. that he's not a good player, right? But it's, anyway, I'm not trying to dunk on Rudy Gobert. Um, <laughs> okay, so so we've we've gone through one of yours, and yours kind of hit on one of mine. Um, so mm-hmm. we're kind of tied one, one, I think I'm actually going to bounce it back to you. Um, what the kind of the, the second thing that comes to your mind when you're thinking about the season so far. Yeah. And, uh, this is something that uh, for anyone who follows me on Twitter, Evan MPDX, by the way, follow me. Um, this is something that I've actually tweeted about and I thought a lot about. And now in preparation for this podcast, I've actually, this is going to be fun because we're going to go through some names. Um, but something uh, that I, uh, am stating, uh, on behalf of Neil O'Shea, I think that Derek Jones Jr. is going to go down as Neil O'Shea's best free agent signing. Whoa. Okay. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I want to hear you. I don't think he is. Okay. I don't think he is right now. I think he is going to be. 
Um, so just some context for Derek Jones Jr. signed a two-year, $19 million deal. I believe the second year is a player option, which he will pick up. I don't see him opting out and getting more than so, – I mean, it's a little bit more – um, then he's probably market value, but like it's only a two-year deal, so it's, it doesn't harm us. Um, he's a dude who fits a need. We needed a long wing, a long active wing on defense. Um, he's not a terrible three-point shooter. He's shooting 33% from the field on two and a half attempts versus 29% for his career. So he's just like it is with a lot of dudes when they come to Portland. They shoot better when they get here, it feels like. Um and then before, so I wanted to get your take, and then I'm going to give you a list of other free agent signings that Neil Shea, notable free agent signings that Neil Shea has made in his tenure. But I wanted to get your kind of reaction to that. I think, actually, um, I'm going to refrain really quick. Why don't you go through those other signings, because I'm going to need that in order to evaluate it. So, so far, I'm in, I'm titillated. I'm intrigued. But, yeah, go through the other free agent signings so I can do a really good comparison. For sure. So, you know, as fans know, it's hard to get a free agent to agree to come to Portland. You either have to take a chance on someone like a Derek Jones Jr. like Neil has done, or you got to overpay someone. You got to grossly overpay someone to come here. Um, so just here's a list. I'm going to give you six names to start that are six names that I think it would be interesting to see where you would pencil Derek Jones Jr. in. And I'm going to give them to you in an order that I have them in probably in most important to least important. For whatever reason. Mello, number one. Al Farouk Aminu, Ennis Cantor. Ed Davis. Seth Curry. Evan Turner. Yeah. I, it's it's an interesting... That's... You know, here's what's funny about you saying that out loud. Part of why, like, I wanted to hear it out loud is because I think that sometimes you think about acquisitions... And that includes trades, right? Free agency signings yes. are, are different. Um, I, I think yes. it, it, it requires, to your point about Portland being a small market, it requires a different level of skill and gamesmanship, question mark, um, in order to get people to, to willingly come here. Um, yeah, so it's funny because I had originally on my list, I was actually going to talk about Neil Olshay and the job he's done this year. Um, I ended up bumping that off for something else because uh, I actually think he's done a really good job this year. Yeah, his best free agent deal. I uh, So, okay, I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Uh, I will note that another item on my list is to talk about Ennis Cantor, who is mm-hmm. inexplicably, when he comes to Portland, apparently just turns into a completely different NBA player. Like, anyway, we're, I, we want to talk about that. Um, okay. Here's all I'll say. I think it's, I think it's definitely possible. I do think that Evan Turner, like his last good days as an NBA player were here in Portland. He played an important role. I think Aminu did a lot for this team. I probably would not have Mello first. I probably would have Aminu first, um, Mm -hmm. and Mello somewhere in that mushy middle. Uh, so I, I would, I think that right now I'd probably go Al Farouk. I think it's possible that Derek Jones could be that, but um, I wouldn't. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. But I hope it will. Like honestly, like obvi- and ob- both honestly and obviously, I hope it will because Derek Jones is on the <laughs> team right now, right? And I mean, who's not? Um, so that's that's yeah. my opinion about it. Before we hop off, here's some here's some other names that stick out, but not in a good way. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Mario Hazonia, who is no longer in the NBA. I wish him well, but I do think when he was in the NBA that he was the worst player in the NBA. Uh, and then two other signings that uh, never played a second for the Portland Trailblazers. Can you guess those two? Festus Azili. That is one. One uh, more recent than that. Pau Gasol. Yes. Yeah. So missed on missed on those two. Well, and it's funny because it's like they were they were low they were low risk signings. I understand all that. Yeah. But yeah. No, I and the the Festus Azili one. I I remember at the time I was like pretty pumped about that. Like I thought, you know, they're gonna get something from him that's gonna be useful. It unfortunately turns out injuries had taken their toll by that point. And Pau was just old um and you know he was done uh which we kind of saw that coming a little bit um yeah i think that's interesting i think i i do think that between Derek jones jr and aminu i i think those are two really solid and, and and to be fair too i mean the cumulative impact that aminu had is as frustrating as he was to watch sometimes like he was really good for this team right he played a role that this team needed. Um, and you would think that Derek Jones Jr. at his best is like a powered up version of Aminu, right? Like yeah, anything that... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. Basically, anything that Aminu brought, Derek Jones Jr. brings at his best, he brings more of. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay. And what, yeah, what... Derek, Derek Jones feels like a higher ceiling. Feels like there could be a higher ceiling than yeah, the book is not yet completely written on that signing, so I think that's a really good point. Um, okay, cool. Like, I like it. All right. So here, here's one of mine now. This one is kind of cheating a little bit because that's not mm-hmm. really about the Blazers, but I have to sneak it in there just because I'm thinking about it so much. It's NBA Top Shot. And, and I know oh. I, I saw you on Twitter you were talking shit about the top shot, Evan. So I want you to explain yourself. Like, what problem do you have with imaginary basketball cards? No. So I was thinking about this. So first off, this is actually great for self-promotion purposes because <laughs> by the time this comes out, so I'm going to release it right after we record this. So it'll probably be pretty close to when this podcast comes out. Um, well, first, I'll, get, I'll, I'll pump it at the end of the segment. Uh, I, I just, I think it's funny to joke about top shot, but here's how I realistically feel. And, and it kind of ties in with what you were talking about earlier. This is my view on top shot. I don't know that much about it, but however, if you have the means to do it, and if you enjoy doing it, that's awesome. I root for people's happiness and people are excited about it and are happy about it. Cool. Uh, you know, I, I guess I like to joke about stuff like that, but like, you know, if you've got the means and you're not like, you know, using the right money to try to like invest, quote unquote, invest in some of these to flip later, um, and you enjoy doing it, then like do it, then that's awesome. Um, I hope, I really hope that we don't find out in like eight months that this is some weird Ponzi scheme and like people are getting screwed out of stuff. That's my big fear. Um, but yeah, you know, if people enjoy, enjoy it. Like, like stuff that you like is my message to people. And don't be don't be ashamed to like it. I, I would say that anything like this is kind of a pyramid scheme on some level because whatever the value of these imaginary things are, 
it's being inflated by the potential future value that may come later, right? Which is sort of the quintessential definition of a pyramid scheme is, oh, I'm going to make money as long as people continue paying into this thing. And Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. There's something a little weird about it because, for example, like I'll just speak to my own experience. Um, You know, I at first was like, I don't want to know about what this is. It's so dumb, like whatever. And then I started researching it more and it's like, it is kind of cool, I guess, because look, like think about basketball cards. It's just a paper thing. You could find a picture in a newspaper, in a magazine, you could clip it out. We don't really need the thing to say FLIR on it in order mm-hmm. to give it value, right? And it really kind of, it, it, it got me into an existential turmoil where it's like, wow, all of this is so fake. Money is fake society is fake right so it's like as much yeah. as as much as people want to shit on top shot from like oh it's virtual basketball cards they don't exist well all of this is sort of it's like tinkerbell we all believe in it and so it works right this is no different so i was like then looking at it from that perspective it's like oh it's kind of cool it's like little video things you can collect blazer ones like okay um the thing that's odd is you know again my my experience like the other day I, you have to go to the site around the time that the packs drop, and the packs have like a couple different video highlights. If you don't know what these are, they're again they're virtual trading cards, right? And they're little video highlights. So really, it's like each card they call it a moment, and it's like a dunk or an mm-hmm. assist or a steal or whatever. And packs come with a couple of them, and some of them are more rare than others. And the the, the thing that struck me that was re- that's really odd. It's still it's kind of freaking me out. I paid. You know, $14 for this pack and you have to get in line and they put you in a lottery system and maybe you get it, maybe you don't. Cause there's so many people who want it that they can't have enough to give out. And it's all kind of based on blockchain technology. So they are encrypted and each individual moment has its own serial number. So, you know, even though it's virtual, that it's unique. But I- I'm-, I'm really taking a long time to get to my point, which is paid 15 bucks and one of the moments that i got when i went to look at what people were selling it for because it was like a low serial number which is apparently kind of desirable people are selling Mm -hmm. this for like several hundred dollars for a thousand dollars and i'm like wait a minute like i paid 15 dollars and you're telling me this one fake thing people are willing to pay hundreds of actual American dollars for it. Like, okay. Like that's pretty Are you going to turn around and flip it, but don't bury the lead. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure, man. Like, of course I am. Like, like, I'd be dumb not to, but like, and like, I totally understand that this whole thing will probably collapse at some point because anything in life is only worth what people pay for it. Right. And people are, I sold poster prints. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) I sell art for part of my living. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. I mean, it's like, it's like anything, right? Like people will, will pay what they'll pay for it. And, and, you know, la di da. So I don't have any qual. I I don't have any dispersions that or, or misconceptions that this is not going to collapse at some point. Of course, it probably will. But right now, it's being propped up by the fact that not everybody who can get a pack can get a pack. It's also there's like chatter about well, it hasn't hit China yet. And once it hits China, it's the same thing with so many NBA fans being overseas that you can really benefit from that, and so many more people will come in, and it's going to prop the prices up even more. Um, but I, I will just say the most fun I've had so far. 
is just finding a Yusuf Nurkic dunk for a relatively oh. low price and adding it to my collection. And no one really knows about it, but it's there. And I know it's there and it's kind of fun. So that's, that's, you know, that's my story. No, I like that. Again, and I want to reiterate, find stuff that makes you happy and you find fun. And who cares if anyone else thinks it's fun or not do it and have fun with it. I totally support that. Yeah. Um, before we, before we hop off this quick plug for me, Starting tonight, again, we're recording this on March 8th. It's a Monday. Uh, I will be dropping on the website Eminem's Top Drops. What that is, what that is, is four inch by six inch print versions of all my art. You pay 30 bucks, and I'm going to send you four random ones, and you're not going to know what they are. It could be any four of my prints. Yo. But. The four, but the the four the four inch by six prints on my website go for twelve bucks. So you know, if you were to get four individually, that would be forty eight. We're doing this for thirty. Nice. Um, and as I grow, because like I've got a print coming out. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about it. It is blaze related. I have a print coming out in the next week or two. And like every time I drop a new print, that gets in the rotation for my top drops. So the collection will grow. And the other thing I'm going to do is that every once in a while I'll throw in a colorway of one of the, the one, one of my prints that aren't, that won't be available on my website. So like you can't buy it on the website, but I will, I'll throw one in there. I'll change up the colors in the background. So then, you know, it's very rare because I'm not selling it. That's right. I like that a lot. That's really, really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, top drops. uh, That's so funny. I, uh, Hope their copyright lawyers don't come after you. No, just kidding. Um, that's rad. It, oh, God. And it, look, I mean, support local artists, support dope art, like support Evan stuff, obviously. And and as opposed to as opposed to top shots being digital, these are physical, baby. Right. Put them in a frame. Put them on your wall. Put them in your office. Put them wherever. They actually exist. Um, yeah. Which is a huge advantage. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the 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 top shot stuff. I mean, just to the, my last word on it is like. It's just, it's so interesting to me, the, and I'm sorry if you get offended by this, the entitlement of people who demand that if they buy a pack, that they make money off of it, no matter what, forever. Like I'm in the Mm -hmm. discord channel for this and people are so upset because the marketplace has been down. Why? Because this thing is in beta and they have explosively grown. They were not anticipating going from a couple thousand, couple tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of people practically overnight. This thing has blown up, but there are people like, with a straight face uh, as much as you can say with straight face on the internet demanding that they make money right now off the thing they bought that is not how any of this works to your point this is supposed to be kind of fun and like again to your point like if you have a a little bit of disposable income and you want to invest in it that's fine but the fact that people like i want to make money right now off of doing nothing go fuck yourself you didn't do anything. Like, yeah. give me a break. Anyway, that's it. So if I, I like, just, yeah, it's like going going and buying scratch offs at the at the convenience store and screaming when you don't win money. You're right. like, wait, right. I, I want to win money. Oh, it's so funny. Anyway, okay, it doesn't that, work that way. That's it on Top Shots. Okay, what's your uh, yeah. what's your third moment? I feel like we're gonna have to get into this at some point because it's something that everyone in Blazer Twitter gets involved in. We don't need, do it. We need to. Don't do we it. We need to address the. Don't do it. Babies. I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> Fire thoughts, babies. We got to oh. we got to just talk about it. We got to talk about them. It was on my list. Especially you know now. 
Yeah, especially now. Okay, so, you know, let, let me just quickly break it down. And I, I think you and I are obviously on the same side of the fence here. Um, it's really annoying. There's obviously, for listeners, and I'm sure if you're listening to this and you're involved in Blazer Twitter, there is a faction of Blazer Twitter that is so obsessed with the idea of Terry Stotts being fired, which is like the most bizarre behavior. I don't, I don't understand it. Like Casey Holdall will write a tweet about something completely random. And like, if you about scroll restaurants replies, it'll be like, why haven't they fired Terry Stotts yet? It's like, it's maddening. So just some stats and Blazers are obviously 21 and 14 without Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum haven't played most of the season. Good for fifth in the West. I just saw ESPN's power rankings now that they just updated. Blazers are eighth in their power rankings in the entire league, which is crazy. Um, again, without the without uh, CJ and Nurk. And I wrote a tweet thread a while ago because I do fire. Just saying fire stats is really it's not productive because you don't bring anything else to the table. But I do think it is interesting to have the discussion where. And there's a debate that like every fan base should have everywhere when if you have problems with the way a team is operating is, is it a matter of roster construction or is it a matter of coaching, which I think is a valid argument to have, not just fire the coach. Right. Um, And you and I have talked about this. I I had a tweet thread a while back where I was bored one day at work and I I, on Twitter got into a someone with like fire thoughts and I thought it was no shape, like a roster construction. And their argument was kind of like, like, look at all the players that leave Portland and, and what happens to them. And I'm like, oh, I am going to actually go do that. Um, so I went and I, I have a tweet thread somewhere and it, a bunch of people look at it. But I went and looked at every single player that has played under Terry Stotts for the Blazers and then went somewhere else to play after, like, whether it be through trade or signing somewhere else in free agency. Um, okay. Of all of all of the players who have left Portland to go play elsewhere, only four players have started in eighty percent of the games after leaving Portland. Four. Those four. Can you guess those four players? Mason Plumley. No, Mason, uh, not even Mason Plumley. Robin Lopez. No. Uh, my God. Oh my Lord. I don't even know. I don't I'll know. give you. I'll give you a clue. Three of the four are dudes that weren't part of Olshay's. Like they were here before Olshay got here. They were part of the team. Uh, oh, Lamarcus. And then look, Lamarcus has started. Well, no, not this. And when I made this tweet thread at the time, Lamarcus had started every game, but I don't think he starts for the Spurs anymore. Okay. But Lamarcus is one. Lamarcus is one. Why is this so hard? Uh... Two, two other two other dudes that played with Lamarcus. Uh, Batum, because he was starting in Chicago. Batum, Batum is two. Wes Matthews? Wes Matthews is three. And... The fourth is a dude that, that Neil drafted, and then he left via trade. And he currently is hurt and not, and like wouldn't be starting if he was healthy. This is so funny that you think that a very polarizing player in Blazers history, in recent Blazers history. <laughs> it's, I mean, I'm going to listen back to this and sound like a complete idiot, and my no. brain is just going blank. Do you want me to tell you? Oh, yeah. Myers Leonard. Oh, Myers Leonard. Yeah. So those why. are the four players. Again, four players, 80% of the games after leaving Portland, three of the four were before Olshay's reign. 
So that says a lot. So it's not yeah. like the Portland Trailblazers get these dudes and they leave. It's not like the Jermaine O'Neal situation all over again. That's not happening here. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you you look at that and it's like, all right, well, I mean, Stats is dealing with the roster that he's given. Uh, another stat that I, I just tweeted about right before this was I looked this up. Uh, the, the, the big, the longest active playoff streaks right now in the NBA are the Rockets at eight, the Blazers at seven and the Raptors at seven. The Rockets are obviously not making the playoffs this year. So that streak will be ended. The Blazers look good right now. Like they're going to keep the streak extended to eight and the Raptors Hopefully. are the eight seed, eight seed in the East, two games below 500. Uh, they're one game out of being the 11 seed and supposedly Kyle Lowry's being shopped. Um, so the Blazers are the Blazers at the end of the season could be sitting by themselves as the team that's been in the playoffs eight consecutive years in a row. You don't fire a coach that gets you to the playoffs eight years in a row, especially wow. given the given the injury history that we've had and just how the rosters are constructed. It's just it's crazy to me. So I think I think you you made a really strong case. I think you laid out a lot of why the people who would like to keep Stotts would want to keep Stotts. I will do that thing that people do, which is where they play devil's advocate. So here's where I have come in my journey. I still believe that Stotts is the right coach for this team. I'll be completely honest that my support for him is less now than it used to be because other people who I don't always agree with are making arguments that I find compelling. And specifically, so I, I want to get to your point about kind of the, the people who talk about this incessantly on Twitter. I do want to get to that, but, but really quick, let's talk about folks who would prefer a different coach. Uh, my view, my take on this is that they focus a lot on process and not necessarily result. And so the argument would be, well, you know, he's successful. He's getting the playoffs, but that's not the only thing you should look at when you evaluate the coach. If you look at how he is coaching, in these people's view, he's not a very strong X's and O's coach, which is borne out by their you know, lack of creativity in their offense and their inability to be more effective than they are on defense. But the biggest thing that I hear from people who don't like Stotts, who want a different coach, is that he is not successful in the playoffs, specifically because he is not flexible enough, that he is not a flexible enough, a diverse enough X's and O's coach in order to play good playoff basketball. So that is what I hear most is that they are valuing the strategic X's and O's part of coaching a lot more than other parts of coaching. I think what you did was you laid out an argument that says, hey, there are some other things you should use to evaluate a coach, which I think is true. We didn't even talk about kind of the emotional maturity part of it. It's, again, the episode that I had with Ryan Whitledge. We talked through some of these things, too. The fact that you have a coach that the best player, a transcendent player, an MVP caliber player, which Portland never has, that he believes in this coach and that that matters and that this coach gets the most out of that player and their other two best players that that matters. And I think that is also true. So all of this is just to say, before we get into kind of the, the people who are um, on Twitter incessantly calling for Stotts to be fired, I would like to entertain that I think there are really good reasons 
why some people would prefer a different coach. And some of those arguments to me are compelling. So I don't know what you think about that, but that's kind of where I've started to land. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's fine. I think, I don't think that Stotts is above criticism at all. Like, I don't think, yeah, I think that everyone is deserves criticism in, you know, pretty much everything. Even me. Um, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, (laughs) I'm I'm joking. I'm joking. I thought I could be beyond reproach. Before, before we talk about these children, um, the other oh, thing. Oh come on! All right. <laughs> the other thing is, um, and, and this is a stat that I've looked up. In the last twenty years, there's only been one team that has won a title with one All Star, and it's the 2011 Dallas Mavericks. To win a title, you need more than one All Star. And Damian Lillard had he had a second All Star with Lamarcus Aldridge, who for some reason. For many reasons, only reasons he knows, he did not want to stay in Portland, and he left. And then, oh, that's a whole then, other that's a whole other episode. We actually, I just really quick, you and I were part of yep. a group that were talking about that on Twitter. And just to say that, you know, you're right, it was up to him, and you know, Godspeed to him. His reasons, yeah. So that being said, in the past however many years, Damian Lillard has not been paired with another All Star, and that is frustrating because history shows that you need to have two all-stars to win, to have a chance to win a title. And uh, one ain't going to get done, unless you're Dirk Nowitzki in that 2011. And, by the way, who was on that coaching staff in 2011, Dallas Mavericks? Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts. So, I, I, <laughs> I will say, though, and this is one of my, I'll just, hint, hint that the, the, one of my items on my list is CJ's resurgence. I, CJ was an all-star this year had he not gotten hurt had he kept playing the way he was playing or even maybe a little bit worse he was going to make the all-star team you listen to lots of different analysts who are a lot smarter than me and like literally all of them had cj as okay this is the first year he gets he's gonna make the all-star team so um you know you can i think i think cj i think cj was playing better than damian at dame at that time like I, I thought yeah. Dame kind of struggled at the start of the season. I thought that I honestly thought that CJ was playing better than Dame. He was for a while. And maybe maybe kind of near right before he went out, it was starting to equalize some more. But like I think yeah. that like I will just say let's let's leave the CJ stuff aside for a second. So okay, you're right. So Dame's never had another all-star except for Lamarcus Aldridge and he bounced. Um one quick thing I want to say about the people on I, I'm trying to be nice. So I'm I I I and not even trying to be nice. I want to be mindful that there are perspectives other than my own and that if people are saying certain things on Twitter, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Some people like to say stuff on Twitter. I sometimes will say stuff to to rile people up. I I, want to try to lower the temperature a little bit, but I do want to talk about people who incessantly talk about Coach Stotts being fired as if that is the only thing Evan holding this team back from a championship. (laughs) I categorically reject that. That isn't true. There are so many worse coaches in the NBA right now. When you look at all of the different things that we use to evaluate a coach from their X's and O's to their playoff success, to how the players like them, to their ability to manage a locker room, to manage egos, to their ability to flex with what the NBA is doing and change with the times, to their ability to change as their personnel changes. Lots of different ways to evaluate a coach. The argument that the only thing holding this team back from being some perennial juggernaut is Terry Stotts is the reason why they are not that, that isn't true. 
And I want to say that with my chest. And there are people who will go out of your out of their way, as you said, that Casey Holdall will be talking about restaurants and people are sliding in there with hashtag fire thoughts. It is a an odd a, a not a great thing, I think, from Blazers Twitter. I have not seen a phenomenon like this in Blazers Twitter. I've and you know me, like I've been on Blazers Twitter for a long time, man. Like I got my start in Blazers stuff doing you know, managing the social media for Blazers Edge. I used to live tweet every single game all the time. I've been around. I have never seen anything like the the hatred, the vitriol, the venom that that I've seen around this conversation, and it is really weird. Like I so with all empathy and with all due understanding, my comment is that I think it's weird. Like so, there you go. That that's my on the record yeah. comment. My off the record no, comment agree. may be I different. <laughs> <laughs> so love it. Anyway, okay, so. That's great. That was on my list to the fire stuff stuff. Just again, I, I encourage you to listen to the episode with me and Ryan Whitledge talk about how to evaluate a coach. Cause I think we did a really good job of, of talking about the rubric of evaluation without getting into at least until the end, mostly getting into thoughts specifically. But so that, that crosses one off my list. What is your, I think we're on your fourth moment of the season so far. Hmm. Uh, okay. This is an interesting one. And I think that this ties into one of yours because you mentioned that you wanted to talk about half of this kind of subject. Um, I am nervous about Yusuf Nurkic's return to the Portland Trail Blazers. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me more about that, though. I I share that sentiment, but tell me more about it. I mean, so looking at stats and just looking at him, you know, just body language wise, he obviously the first 12 games of the season looked not good. Um, which was interesting. I know that he's go- He was going through some personal stuff and, um, uh, coming out of the bubble, it was because he played so well in Orlando. Um, I think kind of the expectations were high for him. Um, and then obviously some personal stuff happened in his life and he came in, wasn't in the best of shape was didn't seem there emotionally, which again is fine. I, you know, if these guys need to take a break, they need to take a break. That comes first. Um, yeah. You know, it was, it was a rough 12 games. I remember back at that time, even back when he was playing before he got hurt, like I had some tweets where I'm like, maybe Ennis should be starting right now until Nurk gets, um, kind of gets into the right place. Even though I know I've listened that I know that Casey, either Casey or quick talked about how, when Ennis came around his first time that Nurk was really kind of hesitant to like warm up to him. Cause he thought that maybe like what, you know, why you're bringing in Ennis Cantor. I think it was Casey, that, Casey and Brooke on the Blazers balcony, which is that new newly named podcast. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And I, Sh- I'm, by the way, know, shout out I'm, to Brooke Olsen dam. Who's like rad as hell. And we don't talk about her enough, but oh, hell yeah, yeah. anyway, hell yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm nervous and the way that Cantor is playing, but here's obviously we need help. We Cantor's our only center currently on the roster right now. Um, and he's out there killing himself for this team. Like he did when he was here, you know, his last stint. um, to counter what I'm saying though. And this is where I have some optimism. Nurk strikes me as a dude who thrives in like uh, more of a community atmosphere where like a structured, you know, uh, it was kind of a structured atmosphere where in this year there was no training camp. They had a couple practices. They came straight in and basically had to get right down to business. 
And I'm wondering if that had an effect where now he's been around the team the entire year. He's seeing how well we're playing in his absence. And I'm hoping that he can look at that and be like, oh, I can help give this team even more than how they're playing right now and is encouraged by it. He seems happier. You know, we see posts of him smiling, posting uh, different stuff, and he seems happier. Um, so that's where I have something, but uh, the last of him wasn't pretty. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought this up. It does actually kind of segue into one of my, my, my fourth point about Ennis Cantor. Um, so maybe we can s- somehow pivot. But, but yeah, I, I think that Nurkic, I agree. So I take a more optimistic view because, like you said, Nurkic has been going through some stuff. We know that he is a heady dude. He is an emotionally in-touch person he's not a robot he feels feelings like we all do and he's not afraid to live his life that way which i think is actually a good thing and it also means that when stuff happens that obviously it's it's going to hit different people differently and he's been hit totally understandable and i do think that he will play better when he comes back i think he will play better when he comes back i think it's good that the injury he's out with is a wrist injury not a lower body injury. I think that is a very, very good thing for a lot of different reasons, not only for his long-term health as a person and an NBA player, but also for his ability to get around and move while he's rehabbing his wrist. I do think that when you put into perspective that you have a different team and particularly a team where CJ McCollum may have a more elevated role, I think that may be the thing that, if the Blazers can work that out when Nurkic comes back and get Nurkic playing his best as CJ McCollum is hopefully now a a different player as Damian Lillard continues to become better somehow, like every single year that there, it doesn't mean that all of their stats will be all amazing, but if they can all kind of with that, that symbiotic energy, if you will all play their best as they play with each other, that's going to be a good thing. And if Nurkic cannot fit into CJ McCollum taking on an even more elevated role, that I think could be a problem. Now that said, I'm not actually worried about that. So all this is just to say, I think it's a really fair concern. I tend to take a more optimistic view. I think Nurkic is going to play better when he gets back. I hope so. I'm obviously rooting for the man. I love him to death. Um, I would love nothing more than for him to come back and show flashes like he did, you know, God in the, bu- I'm looking at stats and there's eight games in the bubble, basically 18, 10 with four assists and two blocks shooting 50% from the field. Like that's, that's good stuff. Well, man. Here, here's the other God, thing too. To Re- remember that at the beginning of the year, the Blazers were trying to assimilate multiple starters and role players that hadn't been on the team before. And they had not been practicing because of COVID. And everybody is stressed out and tired. They're getting tested every single day. The schedule is compressed. They don't really get days off because they have to wake up and get tested. This is an odd year that particularly with the lack of practice, I think that assimilating new people, maybe that takes time. And I think that we now see that Robert Covington is playing much better. Is he not? You know, Derek Jones Jr. looks more comfortable on defense that like Gary Trent Jr. has solidified himself as a starting caliber player. He's going to get paid. We're not, we're not even talking about him so far, but anyway, but all this just to say on the list. Oh, good. Okay. All of this is just to say, like, 
I think part of why Nurkic wasn't playing well was just it, it was an assimilation thing. That is my positive view of it, and I think it's going to get better. So, um, okay. Yeah, like I said, like I said, I think him being around the team, even though he's not playing, I think him just being around the team, being at practices, being at games, I think is going to help. Versus, like I mentioned before, where you, everyone just walked in the door and like, all right, let's go, like roll the ball out, let's play. I agree. I think it, I think it will help, and especially again, a dude like that, I think he just, he needs to know who he's playing with. I think that history's shown that. So, okay. Uh, my second to last one is it just to, we don't need to spend too much time on it because we've already hit on it in different ways. Ennis Cantor fitting in apparently only in Portland, like Ennis Cantor, man, like props to him. His emotional maturity is amazing. I mean, like you said, Casey Hola and Brooke Olsen down on the, on the Blazers balcony talked about Ennis being very intentional about the way he talks about his role as a starter while Nurkic is out. And that Ennis is very intentional to say, I am not the starter. Yusuf Nurkic is the starter. I will be going back to the bench, right? Like that to me is huge. He's been playing incredibly well. He is so good, apparently only on this team. Not that he's bad anywhere else, but like the the last sequence of the last game before the All-Star break, you had Ennis Cantor getting not one, not two, not three, but four consecutive defensive stops. You saw Ennis Cantor moving his feet on defense like he does on offense, which is like the biggest mystery to me about Ennis Cantor is why can he not move as incredibly quickly and fluidly on defense as he does on offense? And he did it. He has shown that in moments he can be impactful on both ends of the floor, which is not something I thought I'd ever say about Ennis Cantor, and that even when he's not really great on defense, that his rebounding and his his target for Dame as a role threat, he's not the screener that Nurkic is, but that he's still a threat to roll when he sets a pick. He has been just a lot of fun to watch. He obviously loves it on this team, which is something you can say about Coach Stotts' leadership and Damian Lillard's leadership that people like being on this team. Um, yeah, Ennis Cantor, props to you. Uh, I've really enjoyed seeing him play this year, and that's why he made my list. Yeah, no, and I think you touched on a few like critical points. He is the definition of a dude that you can't look at his box score and take away anything because if I'm looking at his career stats right now, and he's when he was in New York and OKC, his numbers are better than they are in Portland. But especially that New York team, like they sucked, right? Like he's putting up good numbers on a bad team. Where right. in Portland, like his numbers are good. Again, not as good as when he played New York. But it's more, you, you said the word impactful, way more impactful. And I do agree that I think a lot of it does, has to do with him playing alongside Dame. Like, they're like, they're like pick and roll chemistry right now where Dame's got that, like, he curls off it and does that bounce pass to Cantor as he's uh, cutting to the rim. Like, they've got that, like, humming right now. And, um, you know, just the way he rebounds the ball on the offensive end, he is averaging 4.2 game offensive rebounds. And that is, the second most in his career, he had, he in 2014, 2015 in OKC, he averaged five offensive rebounds, but 4.2 is second best in his career. So like, he, you know, he's parking himself in the paint on offense and gobbling up everything. And yeah, like his impact can't be overstated for this team for sure. Like he, we, there are some games that we would not have won if it were not for him for sure. Yeah. And you said it, the, the impact that a player can have on a winning team in the Western conference, which is the better conference by far 
that mm-hmm. cannot just be measured in the metrics. And I think it's really important that you look, you know, both at maybe advanced metrics can tell its story a little bit, but also look at it in the context of the team they're playing on. So yeah, uh, shout out to Ennis Cantor. Um, have really enjoyed watching him play this year more than I thought I would. And I, I appreciated the signing when it happened um, or the trade rather when it happened. Um, and he had to actually, you can, all, I mean, to be honest, you can almost think of it as a signing. Cause I think that Ennis had to waive, Mm-hmm. trade bonus or some some kind of weird he had to yeah, kind of okay some type of clause yeah yeah i think that that kind of goes into what we we're talking about earlier about convincing people to come here i think that there's some measure of that there um For okay sure. what is what is your fourth moment i think we're on yeah so uh and i touched oh on no it was no ago, this but... is your last one isn't it because nurk was oh, your last one yeah which makes sense because i have two more on my list but one of them i don't really we don't have to talk about um but the big one was Kind of Gary Trent, and where do we go from here with CJ coming back? Is. Not just this, not just this season, but moving forward past the season, as he is a restricted free agent. Um, so you know, my two cents are: I think that there are, and this isn't what these are. I think these are obviously the two options that can happen. I guess there's three options. There are three options that can happen. Either you trade if if you don't plan on matching an offer for him this off season then you got to trade him now to get something for him. Or that's one. Two, you have the mindset of we're going into the offseason and we're going to match anything that anyone offers and we will match it. And then three is, which is the would be the most devastating thing to happen, would be that you let him walk in the offseason for nothing. Um, my opinion of those three, and I think it's going to happen, knowing how Neil really values his guys, the guys that he picks and especially Gary Trent was a second round pick. I honestly think that, uh, they will match whatever, uh, offer is made to him this off season and then figure it out, figure out the guard rotation and what to do next year is my thought. Well, they definitely should. Uh, I wonder how much Jody Allen is willing to pay. I agree with you that like, even if you pay it, you can deal with that later, right? You could, trade him later he's a valuable player he's young he has defensive chops he's an incredible offensive player he has room to grow still he has shown i think through the bubble and then through this year he's reliable which is incredibly important and especially for young players and and second rounders like even when they're starting to show flashes you don't necessarily think that they will be reliable and he has been i think that that's huge um yeah, seeing him come up has been incredible. And like, again, I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself. I think a lot of things could go either right or wrong this season. But man, when you think about a team where Nurkic comes back and he's most of his former self, CJ comes back, he's most of his former self. If Gary Trent Jr. can do most of what he's doing now off the bench, this team gets really scary really fast. I mean, you're talking, mm-hmm. is there a, I mean, to your point about you can't really win a championship without a second all-star. I think that that kind of a team is that kind of a Dallas Mavericks ish Detroit Pistons ish that the, the sum of the whole is greater than the parts type of team that is just so deep eight players nine players that in the playoffs you can make stuff happen that other teams just can't 
if you're only relying mm-hmm. on like six players, right? Like I, so, oh man, Gary Trent Jr. He's been so much fun to watch. And I, I, I agree with you. I hope they keep him. They should keep him. I don't think there's any reason not to. I kind of just, again, like even if it costs money, they can deal with that later, i.e. they can trade him later. He's like an NBA top shot moment. You can buy it now and trade it later. But like really, like (laughs) contracts in the NBA being what they are, that's just the reality of it. What's and what's interesting, especially so the other thing you kind of got to look at it is what what's the market going to be for shooting guards next season? And I'm looking at the list and like it helps the Blazers cause that Victor Oladipo decided to turn down Houston's extension to be a free agent this offseason. Because you gotta imagine he's gonna get more money than he's probably likely gonna get more money than Gary Trent Jr. So he, he's gonna be more Will he? than Gary. Will he though? I think so. Yeah, I mean he just turned down like twenty million a year. I mean I think that's going to end up being a bad choice by him, I guess is what I'm thinking, because I mean, not only is Victor Oladipo, it'll depend on how he finishes the season for sure. But yeah, I mean, he's just like, I I think that that there's an injury risk there. Right. And also I guess Victor, he's 28. So he's going for his last big contract. Gary Trent's 22. He's much, much younger. So I mean, I don't well, know. the other thing that might help, the other thing that might help us. Well, Gary Trent has been killing it starting in like, well, I wish he would start, but like when CJ comes back, he's obviously going to start. So like, you know, maybe him coming off the bench, uh, it won't have the same effect as if he, as if he started the rest of the season, averaging 19 a game and shooting 45 percent from three, where a team's going to be like, oh shit, like let's give him 20 million dollars a year. But yeah. I mean, you know, he's probably going to get an offer around that. And um, I again, Neil, you got to go back to Neil, like the mindset of Neil, like Neil loves his dudes, loves his guys. And Neil and Gary Trent was a second round pick, which makes it even more like, look what I did with the second round pick. Um, and yeah, you, I mean, you just, you can't let him walk. I mean, it's either no. well, if the trade deadline comes and goes and he's not traded, then like, I, if I were a Blazer fan, I would assume that he will be any offer will be matched. It's going to hurt, uh, you know, the checkbook for whomever Jody or the team, I, you know, whatever. It gives your team more flexibility to make a consolidation trade or something. If that's what you want to do also. Right. Like, I mean, and again, like the, the no injury history that he's shown consistency, he's young, it's a value. It's going to be a valuable contract because he doesn't have this inflated sense of his worth. And that's the other thing about Victor Oladipo is like, he wants to be the man, like the, the way that he played, it's been several years now. He would have deserved it. Right. But Victor Oladipo would have, but he just hasn't been that player. And like, I don't think Gary Trent has any, you know, um, delusions that he's going to be the number one option on a team, at least not right now, probably. Um, so I just, I, yeah, that's going to be, I, I agree with you. The Blazers have to keep him no matter what. I think they will. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's been, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see which, which team is the one that's going to make that big offer. Like who's going to come out and, and make, cause someone's going to make an offer. Oh, yeah. It's like, who's it going to be a hundred percent. Okay. Well, my last item, and we've already kind of touched on it, so we don't need to spend too long on it, but just to say it's important that CJ's surge that he became what I would consider to be an all-star player this year has been huge. And I will say, I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say the way that CJ played early this season uh, I know it was only 13 games, but it, it looked sustainable 
the shooting maybe will fall off a little bit. The, the way he was doing it looks sustainable. A career high in assists, career high in points. Um, his his shooting was, of, of course, off the chain. I didn't think that CJ had another gear in him as an NBA player, and he has proven that he does. And I think that that's huge. And I think it's a credit to him. And I do think also, it, we've talked about it, and to repeat your point, Teams have a tough time winning if they don't have two all-star players. CJ, the way he was playing, would be an all-star. And that does take an incredible amount of pressure off of Damian Lillard. Because like the, the difference between CJ shooting 38 39% from three and taking six threes a game, the difference between that and shooting 44% from three and shooting 11 threes per game. So that's the thing. It's not even just his shooting got better. 11 threes. So listen to the past couple of years, three-point attempts, okay? Uh, 5.9, 5.5, 5.9, 6.4, 7.3, 11. Like, that is mind-boggling. But he's making, you know, we shoot 44%, shoot 11 threes, please, by all means. Shoot 15 threes. I mean, you could argue, you could argue, you could argue he should be shooting even more if he's shooting 44%, shoot more. But like, like that's what's so incredible about this. It's not just the, oh, he's more efficient. It's like, he's doing more and it's showing up. And just, I, I, I couldn't get away without just focusing on CJ. The season he's had so far has just been incredible and not something I expected and credit to him for that. Yeah, I totally agree. It's so crazy looking. I'm looking at his stats right now. So points, career high, steals, career high, assists, career high, rebounds, not career high, um, but close. Um, the three-point shooting percentage, career high, three-point attempts, a career high. This is the one, and it's not his career high, but this is what I've always said. I've always argued about CJ McCollum. Uh, in his argument, if, if he should be an all-star or not, and what he needs to do to get there. I always said if he could average six to seven free throw attempts a game, that would make him not. Because he's at 26.7 right now at 3.5 free throws a game. If he was averaging seven, six, seven free throws a game, that puts you at 28, 29 points a game. Like, that's like, like 26.7 is incredible, but that even puts you up further. And there's, when I looked up the stat a few years ago, and of dudes who averaged 20 points or more, he. The only person who shot less free throws a game than him was Clay Thompson. And cause all of his shots came from catch and shoots. Um, and you know, the way that CJ plays, you would think that he would get to the line more. And uh, that's something I hope that he can, you know, right now he's at 3.5, which is almost his career high, which is good. You know, I would love to see it at five, six, seven. So we'll see. Cause that's what Dame, that, that was a big jump in Dame's career when he started and right. granted Dame. Now Dame fully gets like star calls. Like, fully get star star calls well and like you're not wrong and i would like to see that too just to make the case against you like cj has a floater game that dame never has and never will cj has like a slitheriness to him that kind of he relies on escaping weird defensive pressure in a way that doesn't draw contact but that gets him enough room to get his shot off and you could also argue that maybe some players are just not built for hitting the ground a thousand times a game. That's something about Damian Lillard is basically like a balloon. Like he'll hit the ground, bounce back up, right? Like, like, and not to say, I mean, I'm sure that stuff hurts. I'm sure he's bruised, but like that maybe Sage McCollum's just not that kind of a player. And I think that's totally okay. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree though. It'd be nice to see him 
get to the line more because it would it would help a lot. It would relieve a lot of the pressure that, you know, especially as he gets older, he's not going to be able to do some of the things physically he can now. Um, yeah, and, like, to your point, not even hit the hit the ground. Like, when we think of, like, guys that get to the line that hit the ground, you think of, like, uh, you know, Dwayne Wade back in the day and all that. But, like, there are dudes like James and James Harden is, like, a completely special case or whatever. But fuck, I mean, he gets a ton of fouls just by you know, like these like rip through motions in the when he's driving that they give him calls for, and even on the perimeter. Like, I think there are ways to get draw fouls without not getting hammered, like Dame. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, I, I and I look again. Like, my big takeaway from CJ McCollum's season thus far is that, to my shame. I didn't think he could be a better player than he was, and he's proven that he can be. Um, and I don't even think the Blazers need him to, you know, shoot 11 threes at 44% because he's probably not going to keep doing that. But just to see him do it, even, you know, for a dozen games is really, really, really impressive. Um, wow. Okay, I think that that's, that's all I have on my list. I think that that's – are we done? I think that's it. I think that's what I had on my list. Dude, I thank you for this. This was really, really, I mean, I, I got to think about things I hadn't even thought about before. Um, really, really good suggestion. And again, it's just, it's wild that we just spent an hour 20 talking about half of a shortened season, right? Like there has been <laughs> so a much that's happened. About. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, super really fun. Cool. Yeah. I a, thank you so much for letting me come on. I had a blast. I love, like, I'll just like think about stuff I want to talk about. And it's like, I need someone's got someone you know and not even yeah. like doesn't have to be on a podcast like i just want to talk to someone about this yeah dude anytime i mean seriously I, I'm, I'm glad that you hit me up and yeah let's just any anytime you want to chat about something let's do it one more really quick thing and, and then i'll get you out of here um sure. what do you think not your best case but what do you think is going to happen for the blazers in the second half of this season you know there are a handful of games above 500 they're weathering the storm despite injuries where do you think this let's stick to the regular season. Where do you think this regular season is going to shake out for the Blazers just kind of in your most likely scenario? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to, my most likely scenario is going to be, it's not necessarily be my most likely scenario. It's going to be my dream scenario. It should be a scenario. I think that all Blazers fans should root for uh, currently the Blazers sit fifth in the West. We're a game and a half behind the Clippers at four. Um, God, the Suns are outperforming. I so this is what I this is what I would hope for. Um, the Blazers stay in the four or five seed by the end of the season. The Suns somehow end up in the four or five seed and get them in the first round. I know they're playing well and I know they just beat us pretty bad, but I mean Chris Paul is and maybe Jay Crowder. They only have a few guys that have like real playoff experience. They got, you know, DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker have like no playoff experience. Um, so I would, they, I think the ideal situation for blazer fans would be to get the suns in the first round. And then if we were to get past them, I would love to play Utah as opposed to either LA team in the second round. Um, so Utah state at the one seed, uh, I think that that would be ideal. And, you know, I think with CJ and Nurt coming back, it's, I think, I don't think it's going to hurt the team at all. I think it's always helpful to have healthy bodies. Again, we're playing with one healthy center as it is right now. It's baffling to me that we didn't even bring in just like an extra body, like a big body just to have six fouls. I, I'm not expecting someone to like contribute, but like, you know, cancer needs a break, go out there and hack at the guy or whatever. Um, 
So yeah, I think I think realistically four or five is realistic. You gotta look at teams that could catch us. Denver's a half game behind us. It's remarkable how well San Antonio's playing given that every these past few years we're like, oh, they're gonna fall off and they just don't really. Um Yeah. But I yeah, I think four or five. I think four would be ideal. But you know, we're only two games out of the three seed, so who knows? Anthony yeah. Davis still out, you know. Well, and I mean, I would keep an eye on Anthony Davis. He may be out. I mean, injuries suck, ban injuries. There's a potential he's like going to be out, out, and the Lakers are just keeping hush about it. Um, uh, don't, don't aggregate me, bro. But anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think that like not best case, but realistic case, I think four or five, and that's nothing to shake a stick at in this West. There are so many good teams. If you were to lump all NBA teams together, and eliminated the conferences, the Blazers would obviously be doing comparatively better than when they're sitting now, right? And also, like you said, a lot of these different placements are separated by only a couple games. So I think that if you're assuming that other teams can probably also play a little better, I think the Lakers could play better, the Clippers could play better, Utah cannot play any better. Um, But if you assume that, then yeah, 4-5 or is probably where I see them ending up um, I think the one thing I would look at if I'm a fan, look at the point differential. The Blazers right now, and I'm going to go off the top of my dome while I try to type this uh, in. My, I'm looking at it. My understanding is that they have a negative point differential despite being over 500. They do. Which is weird, right? Because point they, and, di- they and the Mavericks, they and the Mavericks are the only two teams in the that have a negative point differential, but I have a winning record. Which is odd because, again, the Blazers are seven games over 500. Um, uh, what I would think is that they can win slightly more games, but the point differential is going to probably creep up as their talent comes back, as CJ and Nurk come back. Um, maybe Zach Collins? We didn't even talk about Zach Collins. That'd be nice for him to come back, too. Um, so, yeah, I'm with you. Four or five seed, and then, you know, we'll talk about the playoffs at a different time, but I think that would be totally fair. And, again, this Western Conference is just rough this year. We've said that no, a lot. In the second, half of, the second half of our schedule is brutal. We have 10 back-to-backs in the second half of our schedule. Yeah, like, it's that's insane. right. insane. The, yeah, the, and the strength of schedule is also very, very tough. There, there are two seven-day periods, two separate seven-day periods where we play five games in seven days. Yeah. That's insane. That's insane. It's going to be rough. I, and I think, again, that's why the Blazers, having done so well during this time with major injuries during the softer part of the schedule, it's important to get these wins because it's going to matter for playoff seeding later, right? Like, that's why it matters. And that's yeah. why. So, okay, man, this was super, super fun. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, hit yeah me absolutely. Up. Yeah, hit me up anytime to chat about like anything, life, Blazers, whatever. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you and hit you up on Twitter and or connect with your work, uh, where would people do that? Yeah. So, uh, Evan M PDX is both my, uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm more on Twitter and it's E V A N E M. And then my website is Evan M.com. Like I mentioned earlier tonight, going to drop Evan M top drops on the website. Um, to combat the, like, like I mentioned, our friends at flagrant, like I said, digital is dead. We're not doing digital anymore. So this is physical top drops, poster prints, four by six fully analog. And, and so I'm expecting Evan that people can only order by mail, right? They cannot order these online oh, because yeah. as you just said, digital is dead. 
Yeah, uh, they got an order by mail, like a carrier pigeon. Telegram. Wherever. I'm in, I'm in New Orleans, so, you know, we got to make sure it gets down here. Go, but yeah, definitely go get, get a up, beignet get the with website. Uh, Evan in New Orleans. <laughs> oh, no, God, don't. I rode my bike down by uh, Cafe <laughs> Du Monde, which is the really popular place down here, yeah. and the line was like a half mile long. Like, not excited about how many people are down here right now, but that's another podcast. It's like the kitschy Portland restaurants that people line up to go to if they're not from Portland. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. All yeah. right, Evan, thanks, man. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Thank you, as always, to my guest, Evan McCarthy. I say, as always, because he's been on the show plenty of times. I always appreciate having him on. And, yeah, check out, I think it was the Evan M's Top Drops, his dope, unique 4x6 art. You get multiples of those. You should check it out. Go to evanem.com, E-V-A-N-E-M.com, or check him out on PDX on Twitter. I hope that you're all having a really good all-star break. I hope that the team is relaxing as much as you are relaxing as we head into the second part of this season. There's a lot to look forward to as we talked about. And yeah, I'm really excited to continue chatting Blazers and thank all of you to listen to the show. You really make this a lot of fun and you should check us out if you want to at ilikeTheBlazers.com or look at I Like The Blazers on basically any podcatcher. Uh, rating and a review and a subscription mean a lot to me. Um, so yeah, anyway, you're all rad. Appreciate you. Uh, enjoy the all-star break and go Blazers. Blazers.